0: Hey, good evening friends and family and welcome to church. My name is Matt Moberg. I am one of the pastors here at the table and as is true every week, thrilled that you are choosing to sit in front of a screen once again and be a part of this experience with us. I promise you at some point soon we will get to be back together again, but that's just not where we are right now. So keep praying. Uh, stay strong. Keep persevering. We got this. We're going to be just fine on the other end. Um, as you'll notice, I'm, I'm not, not only not with you, but I'm also not with Debbie and Christian this week. I've been actually stuck up in this bedroom, sick, uh, tested for the vid, came back negative. So I'm in the clear on that end. But I just wanted to say I'm back on my feet. And I appreciate your prayers because I've heard from a few of you guys that were in my corner and if that's not what community is about, I just don't know what it is. Uh, let's get to the message, huh? Let's, let's at least acknowledge that um, this is a pretty special week this week, wasn't it? Did you enjoy Wednesday afternoon? Did you have a celebratory day? Did you have mimosa in the morning? How did you let your hair down to celebrate the turning of the page in America? How are you feeling about it right now? Again, like we say every week, I would love for this to be a, a um, more of a dialogue. Obviously, this is pre-recorded, and so I can't respond to what you are saying, but y'all can talk to each other, and you can have some kind of community even in this this medium. For me, it was a special day. It was exciting getting to see Uncle Joe open up for Amanda Gorman in front of all of DC. What a special opportunity for him. But it was also like just, it felt good to feel good for a moment. We've had a lot of dark and contentious moments in the past four years. And so it felt like a breath of fresh air. Not the assurance that everything's going to shake out the way that we all want it to. Not like liberty and justice was finally established in the land, because it wasn't. Um, But it felt like there was evidence of hope. And if that's not a... a, um, a parallel to the gospel, if that's not the call of the gospel is to embody and express and then experience hope and, and uh, a favorable disposition towards the future, then I don't know what it is. I do have a little bit of a problem though. I'm not trying to rain on anybody's inaugural parade here, but one of the things that has been fascinating for me has been hearing so many people celebrate what's new while simultaneously maintaining this call to return to what's normal. Have you heard that? Like, there has both been this um, conversation ongoing, especially punctuated in this past week, where we're all now committed to linking arms and locking eyes and moving forward in our pursuit of, of justice and forward progress. And yet we keep saying we need to go backwards to get there. Let's get back to normal. Let's get back to the way things were, which is why I am grateful for people like Jamel Hill and why I think she's such an important voice because she sees these celebrations in the land. She sees that finally Trump is out, but she insists now that we start talking about how is it that he ever actually got in? Like, like, if all we're trying to do is suppress the chaos around us, then we'll be satisfied with the sickness just because some of the main symptoms are no longer on the surface, and that's not satisfactory at all. And this isn't just true on our collective level. Like, it's not just true that we as a people are trying to just eliminate the chaos and go back to the normal, even if the chaos was still there, just more civilized and wore ties and tucked in their shirts. It's also true on our individual level. We see it in our society, but we also see it in our own story. There is this temptation in our lives to respond to the ruptures in our lives with some form of a return, some form of a going back. But what if the disruption on all of your old is meant to provide you with the discovery of something new? What if the moments that are wearing you down are actually here to raise you up? What if something that is uncomfortable, that is making you see with sober eyes and and it's causing you pain to do so, to step into an uncomfortable place. What if it's actually trying to take you to a wider place? Like Dylan at the Newport Festival in 65, when he brings out that electric guitar, people were not ready for what he was trying to provide them with, but he was taking us all to a better place. What if God is using the disruptions and the ruptures in your life to do the exact same thing? How will you respond to the rupture near you today? That's kind of the theme I wanna go with this afternoon, evening. Uh, And I wanna do so by following where the lectionary is leading us because there's a line or two in the text in Mark 1, 16 through 20 that um, speaks to this. So let me read the text, it says this. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were both fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, once they left their nets and followed him. Let me just pause really quick to catch you up to speed and give a little bit of background here. When Jesus says, I'm going to make you go and fish for people, that can sound strange to us, but it wasn't strange to them. Because it's not a unique saying to Jesus. This was an idiom that was... uh, well, well employed—that's not the right word. It's, it was well in use. That's what it is. Yeah, it was being used all over the known world at that time. And the idea was that a rabbi or a teacher of some kind would bring on a student, and that rabbi would then teach the student to be a teacher of the things that the rabbi taught. And when the student actually did that and lived in the fullest potential that the rabbi first saw in him or her, but mostly a, a him at this time. The student would then go out and cast out the teachings that he was taught by his teacher to teach, and in doing so, he would reel back in the minds of people, thus becoming a catcher of persons. You caught my mind, you dragged me into your ideology, the way that you see the world, the philosophy that you are in in paradigm, that you are looking at the world through, like you're a fisher of men, you're a fisher of people. Okay, carrying on. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. First we had in 18, we had at once, they got up and get going. Then in 20, we see without delay, he called them, and they left. They left dad, Zebedee, in the boat with all of the hired men. They dropped their nets at once and without delay. They got up, and they left and they follow Jesus, which, you know, leaves me asking you, when is the last time you did anything in your life at once and without delay? When is the last time you've had your regularly scheduled programming hijacked by something you did not see coming, and you said, oh, I'm gonna go with that thing that I didn't see coming? When's the last time you saw a disruption as an opportunity for a detour? I was on a phone call with a guy this day, and he was telling me about how He has had a few of these conversations uh, in the past year that have changed the way he sees everything. How willing are you to walk through this world with a posture of susceptibility and receptivity that says, like, if God is going to speak to the fabrics of this world to somebody like me, then please, Lord, give me the eyes to hear it and the feet to follow where it leads. How willing have you been? Now, but hear me, I want to say this before we get too deep on this trail, because I always feel like some kind of anxiety around this whenever we're talking about callings or paths or purpose or anything of that sort. I I am big on staying power. I think Christians especially can get caught up and emotionally drunk on this idea of like, I'm going to set out for God and start something new and plant my flag down, and it's going to be amazing. And and that might be God's call in your life. And and, um, if it is, so be it. Bless you. Love you. Get going, we believe in you. But more often than not, I have seen a lot of people who have set out and started something new all because they lack the fortitude to sustain and carry on with something old. And so I'm very big on staying power. I believe in consistency, I believe in commitment, I believe that that is the means through which we are formed. But I also am aware that these rhythms that we apply to our lives, that rhythms can lead to roots and roots, if we're not careful, can turn into ruts that our patterns of repetition can turn into places of stagnation. And so consider this, you know, it's the last Sunday of the first month. We're still in that first new year vibe, new you, new year, whatever that is. Consider this, like just this question. Ask yourself soberly and sincerely, why are you doing what you are doing? Why are you in the place that you are currently in? I ask because we often don't. For most of us, myself included, life is so easily assumed and so rarely actually assessed. And so we never actually see why we are doing what we're doing we're just moving from one thing to the next thing and the next thing you know you are waking up out of bed and you're 75 years old and you're still complaining about the way that life shook out for you despite the fact that you did no shaking of life for you you didn't change anything yes you had disruptions but you didn't find any detours inside of it why are you where you are why are you doing what you are doing consider that i'm not asking you to answer that you don't have, this is not a space where You have to do any performative thing to prove why you were. I'm not even saying you're doing something wrong. I'm just. I want to know. Do you know why you are doing? Do you know the why behind all of your whats? Now, on one level, like when I consider like the predicament that we are in and why it is that we even do so much assuming of life and so rarely getting to the assessing of it, it's kind of like just that's the way we were raised up. Let me just provide you with this metaphor. Uh, that was given to us by this man named Tim Urban who runs the brilliant website, Wait But Why. When I read this a year ago, it, it struck me as so true it struck me as like, oh, that's a beautiful way to think about it. When you consider life and you consider um, you entering into life, among all the great traditions, religious or otherwise, many people have used the image of a river to describe life, the river of life that we are jumped inside of. There is this sense that it is going somewhere, not sure where all the time, but there's a movement that we have now merged into. And in this river, you and I are the tadpoles. We just woke up when we got here. There was no moment where we picked the river, we were just put in the river. didn't opt in, we just dropped in. There was just this one day where we woke up and we were wet, which in my house, there's actually a lot of days where people in this house wake up and they're wet, but that's another thing. We were put inside of this river that was outside of our own choosing. We were put on a particular path that was picked out first by our parents, by our society, by the circumstances of our birth. In an effort in this moving river to get some sense of our bearings and grab some kind of stability, we take our cues from the people who have been in there a little bit longer than us. We learn from our parents and people of authority who are trying to catch us up to speed with, how do you best swim in this river? How do you speak to other tadpoles? How to trust that this river is actually going somewhere and that we're not just aimlessly stumbling down a path. At this point in the river, nobody is looking at us small tadpoles and saying like, what is your purpose for your life? Where are you going? How are you going to spend your days? No, they're saying like, how are you going to prepare for the test tomorrow? How are you going to treat your brother next time? How are you going to eat before you go out and play? Whatever the thing might be. Like that's what we're trying to get the ground rules of how to survive and do well in this river. And that happens through much of schooling until that day comes when eventually we leave the river and are put inside of a pond. That's where this whole thing has been heading the whole time. Now I know that this isn't true for everyone in our community, but I do know it's true for the majority of us in this community that that pond, for most people, has been called college. And in this pond, we learn new things. We learn that beer has its limits, we learn... Um, How far is too far? We learn how to best tiptoe the line. We find out what are the particular interests that somehow light us up, and why is it that some of the other things don't? We give ourselves to niches. Is it niches? We give ourselves to more particular paths. We start to even have a more concrete understanding of who we are and who we're not. And while all of this learning and expansion is happening, there are frogs in the pond alongside of us who keep pointing to the shore up ahead and saying, that's where the real world, happens, that's where your life is finally going to start. Which both fills us with dread and dreams at the same time. Like, what, what? But also like, wow, okay. Like excitement, but also trepidation. And you carry that with you until that day comes when you are 22 and you are no longer allowed to be in the pond, you've been given a diploma that looks more like an eviction notice and you're kicked out onto the shore and you're told, go out and make a life. Which I would, but I don't know that I know how to because for the past 22 years I've been a professional student and now I'm supposed to all of a sudden move into the role of a teacher the preset path that I was put on this whole time is now the path that I was pushed off of and you want me to start my story now you want me to make a life for myself now that's anxiety inducing man I remember feeling this especially when I was um, my parents when I graduated from college my parents through this family celebration of sorts uh, it was a party that'd be a short way of just saying that it was a party And in the middle of it, the like the dread and the trepidation of like the now what and the unanswerable questions was kind of eating me alive to the point where I literally bounced out of my own graduation party, found a dock by a lake somewhere and smoked five or six cigarettes. I was a hot mess of anxiety, but you can kind of feel why. Because if you think about life in the river and then life in the pond, that whole time, let me put it in capitalistic terms, that whole time I was an employee, but all of a sudden, like I've been pushed to be the CEO. All of a sudden I've been moved from being the student in the back of the class whose main concern is how do I get B's for keys and how do I keep the zits off my face? And now I'm being told that I'm to teach the people a new curriculum and I'm to design it from top to bottom myself. I don't know how to do that. And so in the anxiety of that, in in the confusion and upending of it all, I have to look around and find others that have already done that. Because I do not feel equipped To carve out my own path, I need to look at the paths that have already been carved and then do a copy and paste on that path, which ends up kind of being our story. We live our stories out on these paths that were already treaded by other people, which is good and bad, which is fine and also not. What's fascinating to me is if you read the accounts of people on their deathbed, by and large, there's often this experience where people are finally at the end and they're turning around and they're taking the totality of their story And there's some regrets. There's some regrets about not uh, living up to all that they are, leaving a lot of who they are on the sidelines suppressed instead of in the game in action. And some people can actually become aware of that even prior to any deathbed experience. I remember one particular morning I was in a group when I was in my early 20s at this stage of getting kicked out of the pond. And in our group were other guys like, like me, my age, but there was also other guys who were 50s, 60s. And on one particular morning, the guys my age, we were talking around the table about like, what do you want to do, man? What are you passionate about? What are you excited about? What do you feel like God is trying to pull you into? What is it about you that can bring some good into the world for us? Like, what do you want to do? What gives you joy? Where is the life for you? And as we were talking, I looked around the table and two or three, but for sure two of the older guys they were getting emotional hearing this conversation, which then obviously led to us stop and ask, guys, what's what's going on? And when one of them spoke, he said, I'm hearing questions that you are asking that I never had the courage to ever ask. And the other guy said, yeah, me too. For us, it was about you, you get a job, you buy the house, you meet the girl, you have the kids, you live and you die. We didn't ask questions about like, what makes you most alive? Like, what are you most passionate about? what. What do you feel like God is pulling you into? And I really wish I would've. There's something about turning around and looking at your life, be it on a deathbed or a coffee table, that can make all the other voices that are telling you who you need to be kind of drift away so you can finally hear your voice of who you actually are. And I think some of the pain of that, I think some of the reasons maybe why some of these guys were crying on that morning is because when we heard our authentic self speaking inside, we heard our authentic self weeping inside, saying, why didn't you let me come out? Why did you suppress me so that you could fit inside everything else? I get why we end up where we are. I get why we pick the path that others have put us on, that we've seen is the up and right into the success. But it reminds me of this quote from Kuznetsov, who describes life in Soviet times as this, go to school, attend a university, get a secure job, retire, and then die. No challenges, no surprises, no risks, no violence, no sex. It was difficult to become a loser, and it was impossible to become a winner. I think that God wants us to be winners. Why else would he say that we are more than conquerors? I think that God is calling us to leave these lives where we are cooking up other people's recipes and become chefs who are creating our own now to be clear just because we have a limited amount of energy like there is a time and a space and a place to be a cook i mean look at me you guys i'm wearing a basic old t-shirt that you'll see on 10 other people today. I have black jeans on and a cap on my head. I am cooking right now. This is the recipe for how to dress that I've seen out in the public and I'm trying to apply it in my life and I have no problem with that because this is an area where I'm gonna cook. I'm not trying to express myself through my wardrobe or my fashion. That's not important enough to me. And so I'm going to cook in certain areas of my life but there are other areas that are more important where I need to put my chef hat on. Areas of, of how do I want to raise my kids? How do I want to love my life? How do I want to be faithful to Christ? How do I want to live beyond like my own needs and look out for my neighbors? Like How do we want to do that? Those are important questions that it's not always as simple as cooking up somebody's recipe. You have to put on the chef hat instead. Jesus is offering the chef hat. Jesus is standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He sees these boys in their boats, but they're cooking other people's recipes with all the other boats out there and says, do you wanna be a chef or do you wanna stay in that boat your whole life? Do you wanna leave the pond and come on through shore and live in the abundance that I have for you? It won't be easy. It might mean failure. For sure is gonna break your heart, but you will be full. You will be free. You're gonna be alive. Otherwise, as the great Charles Bukowski once said, you'll experience a death before you die. And you are way too beautiful to go through that. Disciples, they hear Jesus' words, and they see Jesus extending a chef hat on the shore, and they go right away at once and without delay because they recognize that the lives that we are truly born to live are often denied and delayed by the lives that we refuse to leave. This is why Jesus says, "Listen, if you want to find out who you are and what you're actually about, you gotta let go of who you think you are and what you need to be about. You gotta lose your life to find your life. You gotta lay down your your road map and pick up something real instead." And so, in the following, there is always a leaving. In the expansion, there is always an expiring. There is something that has to stop in order for something to start, and it's often a disruption that makes you see that for the first time? What are the disruptions in your life that are providing you with detours for your real life? I'm asking that here in church because that's what we should be asking one another in church. Friends, contrary to your experience of our church or other churches, this is not a place for a belief affirmation system. The church looks always the best when she's in an exodus when she's leaving the old for something that is new, when she's leaving unhealthiness for something that is healthy, when she's leaving disintegration for something that is more integrated, when she is uprooting and 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 disrupting our regularly scheduled programming. Can we be that church? Because that is exactly where growth happens. It happens when we see something that we can't unsee, when we lose somebody that should have never been lost, when we meet somebody that we never thought we would meet. When we have these experiences that go outside of the bounds of our expectations, we have a choice. We can either walk back to the boats with dad and fish for the night, or we can walk into something new with Christ and find our real lives. Jesus knew the power of a disruptive story. Jesus knew that he, he, unless he turned over the tables, both literally but also metaphorically, we would all be stagnant and standing still. This is why he tells us to celebrate the prodigal son, to speak to the woman at the well. To don't press pause to go and bury your dead. To not let your parents dictate your path. This is why he says, follow me. I'm going to make you more than you ever dreamed was possible. Friends, I cringe at the idea of this being a YOLO sermon. You only live once, for those of you um, we are not familiar with that vernacular. I cringe at this being a YOLO sermon. I'm not trying to give you a pep talk to let the real you come through, but I kind of am too, because I feel like the gospel, again, is not this invitation to who you could someday be. It is the announcement of who you are right now, and we are all waiting for you to enter fully into what you already are, to own your story and not be owned by your story. I believe in you. God believes in you. Believe in you too. I love that line from uh, that Chance and Bieber song. I'm going to butcher it now, but it's something like, I know that we believe in, I know that we believe in us. I know that we believe in God and that God believes in us. Yeah, God believes in you. I've I've dropped this quote far too many times, but it's too important for me to not say it once again. One of the biggest tragedies in our lives is not that we aim too high and miss, but that we aim too small and hit it every single time. Jesus is standing on the shores of your life saying, get up out of that boat and come into something better because you are far too big to live so small. And I will walk with you. I will teach you. I will train you. Take on my yoke for it is light and easy. And it's going to bring out the best in you for the best of us. Can I get an amen? I love you guys. We'll see you soon.
1: Hey, thanks for that message, Matt. Jesus said, follow me. And that's what we do. At the table, part of our mission statement is practicing the ways of Jesus and we do that by following Jesus. And like Matt said, we can be sure that that will be disruptive to our lives. But that disruption, it makes for a very full and beautiful life. It makes for a life that matters. And as we link arms at the table, as we aspire to practice the ways of Jesus, part of the way we do that is we meet every week, we gather every week, even if it's virtually. And part of that practice is in sharing in communion. And so as we do that tonight, we remind ourselves that we are followers of Jesus, that we listen when he calls, even when it disrupts our lives. The night before Jesus died, he sat at a table with his disciples he took bread and he broke it and he said this is my body broken for you and when you eat this remember me and he took the cup and after pouring wine into the cup he said this is my blood shed for you and when you drink from this cup remember me so that's what we do we take the bread and we dip it into the cup and we remember we remember a God that took on the form of a human and walked this earth and ministered and taught us what it meant To love God and love one another. And so we'll remember that as we remember the call to follow me. So as you take your bread, please hear these words. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. And now together as one body, one community, let's pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.